And welcome to season three of my podcast. Today, my guest is Gauri Moleki, who is a trustee of People for Animals or PFA, and is the advisor to Shrimati Meneka Sanjay Gandhi. Gauri has conducted many training programs for police, judges, and other officers. In my previous episode, we learned about. the functions of the government example the legislature executive and the judiciary today we will talk about how the executive arm functions with gauri hi gauri welcome to my show hi vedant i'm so excited to be on your show even i'm very excited for this i'm like i'm very excited just like you're curious vedant i'm excited gauri <laughs> I so what are we going to talk about today? Um we're going to talk about how the executive arm of the government works. Mhm. India is a huge country with over 1.2 billion people. How does the government make sure that all the people know and follow the law? Okay, that's a very interesting question. So there are so many laws in India about different things, how to drive vehicles on the road, how to register houses or what to do with properties how to run banks how to look after animals there's just so many laws so for everything all the laws are put up on the websites of all government uh, departments and it is the duty of every citizen to actually look up the law and to learn about it uh, so that every citizen can follow the law wherever he is about everything there's a law in india on everything and it's on the websites of the government offices you can also buy books um there are lots of legal books available which uh, one can read up if you want to know deeper into the law so you can even buy the constitution of india oh yes you can buy a copy of the constitution of india and it's a it's one of the world's best written longest constitution and um Uh, it's a pleasure to read it and it makes you feel you know that way back in um, you know 60 years ago 70 80 years ago they could uh, envision such a wonderful glorious country and they've written such wonderful provisions in the constitution um anybody can buy a copy i have several copies of the constitution of india you should read it so you said that the law of the of india is put up on like the different government websites but then before internet came before the websites came how did the people read the law okay in that case there were printed copies of every notification and every act that was passed by the legislature there were printed copies that were available everywhere in shops in you know every district in the country has courts and there you have these uh, you know booksellers who could sell those books and some very important prominent laws the government only um, you know makes them into small little pamphlets or handouts and makes sure that the public comes to know about it there's some that they want to propagate even more through television and radios so uh, that's why we watch the news so that we come to know what are the new laws that are passed if at all 
something interesting that's come up, some decisions taken on policy. So the government proactively also tries to tell the citizens what uh, laws are made uh, through various mediums. So government has its own publicity department. That department makes sure that every citizen um, has access to, um, you know, new laws that are made. In Singapore, the laws are very interesting. I mean, like, there's this one law where you cannot, like, chew gum. Well, it has some environmental impacts. I'm sure there's logic to everything. Sometimes there are laws that one uh, doesn't instinctively understand, uh, but... Uh, you know, there is a logic to it and in keeping with the times. Maybe there's some environmental concerns about chewing gum. But for instance, when in 1960, the Indian Parliament came up with the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, a lot of people thought that was crazy. You know, why protect animals? Because animals are not so important. But suddenly, you know, slowly, slowly, we understood that how important this law is and how important it is to protect animals around us. Um, something that may not make uh, immediate sense to you might have deeper meaning. So let's find out a little more about it. <laughs> so who are the people who form the executive arm of the government? So the executive arm is basically full of officers, uh, bureaucrats, you can say, uh, who execute the laws, the policies that are passed by the legislature. So the legislature is the parliament or the state assembly. And they have all these very well-educated officers who work in the bureaucracy. And they frame the structure in which the law has to be implemented. For instance, um, you your school principal, she makes the decision on anything and then all the teachers decide uh, how to implement that decision in the classes with you children if if the principal says okay now from tomorrow we're going to start teaching about um, the planet earth you know in a deeper sense so how will the teachers will now make chapters on it and try to uh, you know execute that decision and they become the executive. So you uh, just have to look at um, the structure of the Indian administrative system juxtaposed to your school administration system. So a lot of uh, secretaries or district magistrates and um, you know directors and IFS and IPS officers, IAS officers, they're all the executive arm. They are the ones who implement the decisions taken by the parliament of the country. Well, if they do everything, what does the prime minister do? The prime minister is the head of state. He has to, um, you know, head the parliament of the country and he leads uh, all the decisions that are taken. He's also the head of the cabinet. So all the main decisions that are taken by the parliament first have to be run through uh, by the cabinet and the prime minister, and only once they approve it that the parliament even comes to vote on it. So he takes big decisions. So, for instance, there's a pandemic going on. So the prime minister decides that the 
you know the covid warriors the doctors will get the um, vaccine vaccines first but how to implement it how many hospitals will open how many uh, nurses and doctors would be available that will be decided by the executive the prime minister and the parliament they are there to make big broad decisions but how those decisions turn out to be implemented on the ground is the work of the officers so what is the cabinet so cabinet is a group of those members of parliament who have been given the charge of one particular ministry they are senior members of the parliament very senior uh, politicians who are the heads of certain departments for instance uh, health minister will be a member of the cabinet um finance minister defense minister animal husbandry minister uh, all of these different different uh, department ministers form the cabinet they together decide uh, and vote on most of the large policy decisions that the cabinet has to pass what are the ministries and how are they run you know running a country uh, is a is a very serious business there are lots of people who uh, have all kinds of uh, needs and requirements and um, you know uh, it takes a lot of um, thinking and specialized knowledge to run uh, a country this size hence for every subject there is a specialized ministry they specialize on that subject for instance health ministry has a health minister and under him is a health secretary and additional and joint and deputy secretaries etc who all specialize in that health department they implement only the policies and the decisions that are based on health then the, there's another subject for instance finance so the finance minister and his officers team of officers they are the experts on finance they will do their subject is finance and it's written in our constitution whose subject is what and what they're going to do under that hmm? for instance urban development ministry they will decide where the roads will go where the where how buildings can be made the policies on you know how urbanization has to happen the animal husbandry ministry will decide you know how animals are to be treated how can they be housed how can they be kept so sometimes uh, you know they take decisions for one purpose or the other but uh, they ha- that's their subject the ministry of environment and forest is supposed to take all the decisions to protect the environment and forest their their minister and their group of officers secretary under secretary deputy secretary all of them they sit and take all the policy decisions and then they tell the state governments to implement it like that and finally um, they work out all the rules they work out all the systems they work out all the schemes because for in order to do everything you require money also so the ministry will or the department will basically work out all the schemes and ensure that uh, you know everybody has the resources to implement the decision so in the ministries you said that there's the there's the minister the head and then the different like spe- people who who like are the best at it are there also other people to help oh yes um 
it's now a growing practice that uh, stakeholders or experts in their subject matters are also invited in a lot of uh, um, such decision-making processes. I'll give you an interesting example. For instance, the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, it was made in 1960 and is now due for a revision, a sort of an amendment, um, because the penalty was too low. It was just rupees 50 and nobody liked it anymore because it was the law became meaningless with 50 rupees. So uh, the government has decided to change that. But they're not deciding it only by themselves. They have extended invitation to a lot of subject matter experts and they're asking them for opinion also. And I've also got an invitation and I'm also going to give my opinion and suggestions on it, how the act can be made stronger and better. So uh, it's not just uh, officers uh, of the government, but also other subject matter experts that who are called from time to time to give their opinion. And I think it's a very healthy practice. It happens in all ministries. Um, for instance, even during the pandemic, a lot of doctors who, are, who have their own private hospitals have been asked to come and help the government make better policies. So um, every citizen may get an opportunity to contribute towards towards good governance. Congrats on getting invited. I hope you succeed in increasing the penalty. Thank you, Vedan. It is much needed and I hope that it happens too. I know that you create awareness among the different officers about animal, wildlife and environmental issues. How do you do that? Uh, well, first we have to convince the department heads that this is, uh, you know, animals, environment, it's all important because sometimes police thinks that only catching thieves is important and nothing else is important. <laughs> but um, we have to convince their uh, higher officers that uh, preventing cruelty to animals and taking action in uh, cases where animals are abused is also important. And then they instruct the officers, um, you know, under them to uh, encourage such uh, knowledge sharing. And then we get in touch with, uh, you know, every state police and uh, we organize workshops, we interact with the um, officers who are directly taking action on the ground against uh, cruelty. And we, uh, give them all the resources, we give them all the knowledge, which helps them in saving more lives. So it's um, it's very interesting, actually, because these workshops, these uh, sessions help us also to learn what are the practical problems that the officers face on the ground level. And we are together able to solve so much uh, of, uh, of that. And um, so many animals get saved. You also train judges. Isn't it very scary to train like judges? Oh, yes, it's very scary. First time I was extremely scared and I thought that they would ask very tough questions and um, uh, I would perhaps uh, not be able to give uh, all the right answers. But uh, it was a very pleasant experience. Um, and uh, ever since then, we've been doing lots of workshops with judges uh, in trial courts and um, not only are uh, they extremely bright, uh, Indian judicial officers, uh, but um, we have learned more and more that they are very they they want to do something nice. It's just that they lacked the 
resources and the uh, assistance that people like me and people like your father can give to them so we um, have been assisting a lot of uh, magistrates in uh, uh, by holding workshops by holding these sensitization sessions now i'm not so scared anymore but still uh, we have a huge amount of respect for our judiciary and we just um, hope that we give them all the right answers and all the right assistance in uh, for them to take correct judgments in uh, cruelty cases especially when the victims can't speak for themselves who are magistrates uh, magistrates are of two kinds one is an executive magistrate like a district magistrate or you know a district collector he has a separate set of duties um related to revenue uh, like collection of taxes etc uh and then there is a judicial magistrate um who is uh, basically about you know sits in a court he is uh, from the judicial wing of government and um uh he hears cases and gives decisions in criminal and civil matters who's the judge who says like guilty your sentence to like this many years of jail this many years of like l- labor and all of that no okay no, that's definitely a trial court judge uh, who can be a magistrate at a district level court and can also be a high court judge but uh, yeah definitely a trial court that's what you're talking about where the criminal matters are heard and uh, the accused person may either be acquitted or sentenced as guilty can a person also be sentenced to death oh yes in very very special but rare circumstances when the nature of the crime is heinous and is uh, uh, rarest of the rare cases then yes uh, death penalty is still uh, an option in india but it's not it's it's just very few and far between so and it's only reserved for very very heinous or rarest of the rare kind of crimes you also work to make new laws what is the latest law that you are working on well that has to be the prevention of cruelty to animals act uh, the amendment to it which is uh, to increase the rupees 50 penalty it's just so you know demoralizing to know that today in india you can you know kill animals you can cram them up in cages for all of their lives in straight jackets basically or burn their little babies or starve them to death or all kinds of cruel heinous activities you can do and you can get away with it uh, by just paying a penalty of rupees 50 if you are convicted at all so the, it really has uh, no meaning left the law is beautiful but the penalty is not a deterrent anymore and we wanted for instance if your teacher says in your class that you know if you cheat during an exam then um, she is going to ask you to be quiet for 2 minutes that's the punishment you get so is that going to prevent you from cheating or you can be quiet for 10 minutes but that's no big deal but uh, something as light as that you know 50 rupees has no meaning in today's day and age and it requires that this act which is a serious act it deals with serious offenses has a serious penalty also so this is the law that we are working on we have 
got various uh, judgments from the Supreme Court and now the government has agreed to change it and let's hope it happens quickly. And if you, I also agree that 50 rupees is very less. It's like less than like how much you pay to go on one auto rickshaw ride. Yeah, that's right. Actually, it costs more to go to court, to actually travel to court than to pay the penalty. So it's it's just... But way back in 1960, the intention of the uh, parliament was very good. And uh, at that time, 50 rupees used to be a lot of money. But with time, money loses its value. And now 50 rupees means nothing. So we have to make the law updated. That's what we are working on. And once again, I I wish you your best to like increase the fine. Thank you, Vedant. It's children like you that uh, deserve a better, compassionate world, a compassionate India. And uh, we are working today to make your tomorrow um, a nicer one, a kinder one. Thank you. How did you get into doing what you do now? What did you want to be as a child? So I did not decide what I would be as a uh, when I grew up, but I uh, did know that I would I want to do something more meaningful in life, something that made me truly happy, something that was not just about myself and was about something larger. Although I couldn't put my finger on it, and I did a lot of things actually, uh, but nothing gave me a lot of uh, the kind of I worked with children like you. I worked uh, as a voiceover artist. I did loads of things. But finally, I stumbled upon animal welfare as my full-time, 100% body, mind, and soul uh, work. And it has uh, given me so much happiness, I can't tell you. I joined People for Animals way back in 1994. And ever since then, it's only made me more and more um uh, certain that this was the purpose of my life and that's how um it, it it gives a beautiful feeling after i've been able to help even one animal you know that's a very great thing and i've also joined people for animals i mean i have mm-hmm. <laughs> welcome to the family young curious members like you uh, will make uh, so much difference to this world vedant We are so proud to have a member like you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on my show. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Vedant. Dear listeners, follow my Facebook page, Curious Vedant, to get updates on my upcoming episodes. To listen at leisure on your phone and get notified about future episodes, subscribe by searching for Curious Vedant wherever you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also listen to my show on CuriousVedant.com. Thank you for listening to Curious Vedant. And don't forget to rate and leave comments.